Welcome to the Nano Entrepreneurship Network podcast, where entrepreneurs who have transitioned ideas into the marketplace share some of the lessons they've learned as they navigated the technology development pathway. I'm Lisa Friedersdorf, Director of the National Nanotechnology Coordination Office. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Dre, the CEO and co-founder of Grolltex, an advanced materials and equipment company located in San Diego. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Can you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this company? Sure, I'm happy to do that. And thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. My background, specifically to answer your question, is a semiconductor materials and equipment business. I was in that business for several decades, moved here to San Diego with my family, and then down here, I became involved with kind of the entrepreneurial scene and specifically more connected to UCSD and how uh, they were creating programs to help scientists and technical people take their ideas into the marketplace and make businesses out of them. Through those programs, I met my current partner and co-founder, the, the technical and inventor of all of our technology here at Grolltex, Dr. Alex Zaretsky, and became interested in some of his ideas with regards to graphene. And it turned out that a lot of uh, my experiences and time in the semiconductor business, helping companies like Intel scale their operations and stay on track with Moore's Law, a lot of that experience and, and information and drive was really applicable here to taking Alex's idea and really you know, seeing what we can do here with graphene and bring it to the market. So can you tell us what was it that interested you about graphene and then maybe talk a little bit about the technique that you use? Sure. So specifically with regards to graphene, a lot of people in the advanced materials space think that we're on the brink of a real kind of a evolution here, a significant evolution, meaning if we humans can use what nature has given us in the most optimal manner, in a lot of places, that means using monolayer materials, using, in this case, graphene being pure carbon. Of course, we live in a carbon-based world, and pure carbon, of course, can be gotten from refuse or banana peels or, you know, it's just, it's abundantly available. And if we can use that material to do things, uh, and we're, we're principally going to talk about electronics today, at least with our type of graphene, but other types of graphene are being used to make car tires last forever and house paints and concrete and et cetera, et cetera. So many, many applications. So if we can get to using these monolayer materials, then of course we're leading to a better future for all of us. Now that might sound, you know, kind of hocus pocus. Let me tell you in several areas, that time is here, it's now. My company is making these materials, for example, and we're selling them very, very reasonably to researchers and a lot of work is being done. So the rubber is meeting the road now with monolayer materials. You mentioned applications such as in electronics for the type of graphene that you make. Can you back up a little bit? You said it's carbon-based and it's a monolayer. Can you describe what graphene is for our listeners and then how do you go about making it? Sure, happy to do that. The word graphene, I mean, it's kind of a new word, frankly. A lot of times it <laughs> doesn't even come up in, in dictionaries and et cetera. But when people talk about graphene in this space, what they're really talking about is single layers or very few layers, in this case, of carbon. And what you're trying to get out of there is on one side, you're either trying to get something physical, so you're trying to make something stronger or lighter or more mechanically sound. 
And then the other type of graphene, the type that we make, is monolayer graphene. And you think of it as a film. So think of it as, say, chicken wire. And it is atoms of carbon all connected in a single layer, like a blanket. And what we want out of that is electronic performance. We want electricity to flow through there. Think of it as an electron superhighway. And if we can use those films and put them in devices, we can make things smaller and faster and et cetera, et cetera. So all kinds of terrific performance enhancements can be made with, uh, with these types of materials. I really like the description as an electron superhighway. Your website mentions sensors. Can you discuss why graphene is a material that would be considered for sensor applications? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question. So there are several reasons why graphene is such a great sensor. Number one, since it is only one atom thick, that means all the material is sensing. Every atom of the material is in the sensing environment and it is sensing. There's no bulk, there's no other material getting in the way. So one atom thick, that's really important, very, very thin. Number two, since it is the most conductive material known at room temperature, then any disturbance of the electron flow flowing across that one atom thick material, any disturbance, and that signal is read very quickly in a very robust manner. So those two things put together make it an incredibly high-performing sensor down to the atomic level. So imagine current flowing across this surface, this chicken wire. If even an atom falls on that current or interacts with that electron field, then that signal is red. So very, very sensitive. In addition, it's flexible, it's very strong for its weight, and it's transparent. Now transparent, this is very important because you can get an optical signal through this material at the same time as getting an electrical signal. So this enables all kinds of terrific sensing combinations of things. And then finally, graphene is, uh, and I don't think this is talked about enough, uh, graphene is a near perfect barrier. The only thing that gets through graphene is hot protons. And that means that it's also an ideal material for proton exchange membranes and hydrogen fuel cells. So this material from an electronic standpoint, it's really hard to come up with on a theoretical basis, a better sensing material than this. And again, it's pure carbon. We live in a carbon world, right? So all kinds of great advantages here. So I wanna focus a little bit on your experience running a company and advice you have or lessons that you've learned. You talked about the work that you've done in the semiconductor industry in materials fabrication equipment in the past, and your current company is focused on material, which can be used in that application. But I noticed in your bio that you also had worked with a what I perceive to be more of a software company. Can you discuss some of the differences in running a nanotechnology company compared with running a software company and some things that maybe people who are interested in starting a company in the physical world have to consider differently? Another really good question. So starting a hard science company or an equipment or materials company as compared to a software company, first of all, it's, it's much, much harder. Starting a software company, I'm certainly not saying that's an easy go, but there are many hurdles that a hard science company just doesn't face. And the most obvious one right up front is money. If you're going to set up a clean room full of equipment to make advanced materials or, or anything else, that's a big cost up front. Now, we were very lucky. We were and are the quintessential scrappy startup. In other words, if you toured around our clean room, which by the way, we built by hand with a kit, like a Lego set kit, 
if you turn around our clean room and pointed to a piece of equipment, each piece would have a story like, oh, that's a $120,000 tool that we bought on eBay for 13,000 out of the Duke physics lab kind of thing. So each piece of equipment has a story like that in our lab. We're lucky enough to have a small staff that's very skilled and willing to learn things. In other words, my PhD partner, he likes to brag that one of the first things he had to do when, when we started the company was go learn how to weld. He went and got a welding certificate so that he could come back and construct the tools he needed to for a clean room. So coming back to your question, what's different about a hard science company? You need some more money up front. Uh, you need some skill sets that are going to come in handy. You need to be very, very flexible and allow more time, right? You got to allow more time to get these things set up. So yeah, it's harder. That all might sound obvious. It's the case. Yeah, it's harder. You mentioned building the clean room, and I love the description of each piece having a story and your partner learning to weld. I think it's great to really dig in and do it yourself. And I think that that's one of the things that really attracts people to entrepreneurship is really having that involvement at every stage. You mentioned that you're in San Diego and you've done some work with UC San Diego in the past. Did you take advantage of the equipment there while you were getting started? We did and still do, in fact. So UC San Diego has several really beneficial programs for entrepreneurs for equipment share. They also set up in conjunction with, I think, some funding from federal government and, and the state of California. They set up what their name for it is Cal IT2. It is sort of a mock wafer fab, if you will. So imagine a high-tech wafer fab and all the equipment that's in there, all the way to state-of-the-art of Moore's Law. And I'm talking about patterning and etching deposition and all the key measurement equipment, et cetera. That's all in there. It's available for lab share. We avail ourselves of that equipment at least twice a week and sometimes more often. We're pretty close to the campus here within 10 minutes, so we do a lot of equipment share with the UC and we're very lucky to have them. When you think back on the early days of this company or past experience, what was the best advice that you got? Is there something that still resonates today that a mentor along the way shared with you? Yeah, so the first thing that comes to me is things always cost more and take longer than you think. And you're gonna hear this a lot and there's a reason you're gonna hear it a lot. If anyone says to you as a startup, make sure and hire all the people that you need, that's bad advice. Do not hire all the people that you need. <laughs> we, we've been in business for five years. We still have four people and that's including me. I'm one of four. And the other three are scientists. So everything that's not science, I'm doing, right? So I'm accounts payable and finance and HR and all those things and that's okay. I love doing all that stuff. In fact, I was even coached by several shareholders. Hey, you should go hire a bookkeeper. You should hire a finance person. You should hire an HR person. No, 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 no. We need to focus on the mission, on the people that have hands on on the mission. And when we get an MVP and we start bringing in revenue, you know, then we could talk about staffing up and spending money according to the size of the business, right? So don't don't scale the business to the size you think it should be with borrowed money up front, scale the business on the revenue as it comes in. Again, maybe that sounds obvious, but there's all kinds of startups not doing that and they burn out very quickly. Now you described the sensors work where you have a single layer of graphene, the carbon chicken wire single layer, and you described it as decorating the surface with 
gold or platinum. Are you able to then attach biomarkers to the gold and the platinum in order to detect certain biological molecules of interest in your biosensors? Is that how that works? Yeah, absolutely right. So very good example that you painted. Let's stick with the one uh, with gold. As it turns out, and there's plenty of published literature in this regard, so I'm not imparting something uh, of secret. Gold is very helpful in anchoring some forms of biology. One of them is DNA and RNA. So if you take a graphene sensor, for example, and you put some gold structures on top of the graphene, you can introduce some probes for RNA or DNA. They will anchor very well to that gold surface awaiting, in this case, maybe a viral event, some viral RNA come down to hybridize with those probes. So yeah, that is a very important, what you described, a very important application and, and use for, in this case, gold on the surface of graphene. Happens to be one we're working on, as you can imagine, since virus is the flavor of the day, this is getting a lot of focus with some of our customers. When COVID kind of really reared its head and made obvious that it was the pandemic it was going to be, I would say back in February or so of 2020, a whole bunch of folks in our field that buy our material and do bio research in labs all over the world using our material, a whole bunch of those folks who were focusing on cancer or glucose or genomics, a whole bunch of them stopped what they were doing. They all asked the question, hey, this graphene that I'm working on, can it be used to make an advanced virus sensor? And so papers started being published en masse, and you'll see these Google graphene COVID sensors. All kinds of papers were published mid last year using graphene as an advanced virus sensor. And thank many of those folks used our material and were nice enough to say so in the acknowledgements there. But yeah, you're right. You, you touched on something really important. You know, we talked about on a theoretical basis why graphene is such a terrific sensor. These folks keyed in on that, used it for COVID, and all kinds of work was done. Really terrific work in that regard. So you've talked about a number of different applications. Where do you see CVD graphene going in the future? We see the first big breakout application in biosensing. Talked a little bit about virus already. Our customers are using our material to make advanced sensors in glucose. So we have a customer that makes a wearable that detects glucose in sweat. We have customers using our material to make a CRISPR chip for genomics and gene editing. We have our customers who are using our material to make biosensors for new drug discovery. So protein binding interactions is what they're, what they're measuring. So there's many areas in highly advanced biosensing that are starting to really adopt graphene as the next generation sensor. This to us is the area that's getting the most activity. Now that said, we're also uh, recently getting some pretty intense interest in some other areas. Number one, a couple of months ago, there was a paper published in the UK that showed that graphene can improve the performance of disk drives by up to 10x. Now, it's not uncommon for us to see papers come out with graphene being used in this application or that application. We see these papers all the time. But this was the first time that within a week of that publication coming out, some of the top five disk drive makers in the world were contacting us and we right now have some JDPs going where they're evaluating our material on their substrates. So, so that was a very active, very quick sort of snap reaction. Um, and then one other area I'll mention too is advanced acoustics. We have joint development program with a large acoustics equipment maker who uh, believes for various 
justified reasons that graphene can be used to make very, very advanced microphones and headphones and speakers, et cetera. So that's another area that we see is heating up. So if there were students interested in entrepreneurship, in, in materials, what advice would you give them? Okay, so first off, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start your own company, get very good and comfortable at public speaking. Number one, okay, get good at conveying your idea, whatever it is. If you're an extrovert already, good for you. If you're an introvert, sorry, you're going to have to get out of your shell and turn into an extrovert. I'm an introverted person. I am not an extrovert. So it's not natural for me to speak publicly, but with a lot of practice, a lot of forcing myself into speaking engagements. And by the way, that means also taking ones that you know very well aren't going to do you any good. You're just doing them for practice. And then to take those, you do a lot of at home practice, right? So you have to be so good at it that it's, it's a compact, that it flows quite easily. And listeners pick that up right away. And they can tell, hey, that person knows what they're talking about, but only if you've done it over and over and over and over again. Okay, so, so that's number one, get good at conveying your message, critical. Number two, get used to being told no. Here's an example. When we started the very first round of funding for this company five years ago, at the time I was, and still am, luckily enough, relatively well connected to uh, some of the investors in that group down here in San Diego, angel investors, et cetera. So I had some good connections. I didn't start from scratch, but I was told at that time, be ready to have 200 meetings before you get what you want, okay? That's a lot of people telling you no. So get used to being told no. Now, the 200 meeting thing, I thought, well, that's preposterous. It's not going to take me that many meetings. I will tell you, when it was all said and done and we had our funding, I went back and counted the meetings. It was over 150 meetings. <laughs> so whoever told me 200 was not exaggerating. So I, I'd say persistence has to be in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, not just persistence, but believing in what, you, what you're doing too, right? This fully committed belief yeah, you know what you're doing is going to work and you're going to see it through and that's that. So get used to being told no and march on. That's great advice. So I really appreciate you being with us today, Jeff. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? No, and I, I really appreciate the time. This has been great. You know, if it's not obvious, I could talk about my company all day. We have a lot of fun here. We really believe in what we do and we think it's incredibly important. So if nothing else happens, we're incredibly proud of what we've already been able to do and really thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about it. Well, we appreciate your time. And I want to say to our listeners, if you're interested in joining the conversation, the Nanotechnology Entrepreneurship Network, please go to nano.gov slash nano entrepreneurship network or email nen at nnco.nano.gov.